Hello and welcome to Reanimated. This is episode 270, part two. Part one is lost uh, forever, as is our way on, here on Reanimated. The dulcet laughter tones of H.A. Conrad coming through your ears. Uh, good morning, H.A. Good morning. So is this like 271-ish? If we count all of our disappeared uh, episodes, it's, we're probably at 275, I yeah, feel like. Yeah, it happens but every that's... once in a while. I'll own up to this one. This one is definitely on my end of things, so sorry, sorry, reanimated people. But the good news is we can talk about three episodes of The Walking Dead world beyond today and um there's also you know uh, there's there's like a couple of news news items to chat about but smattering of news all walking dead related because if you try to look up anything to do with zombies that isn't walking dead it's it's all covid related (laughs) it's covid it's covid related or it's like financial related or it's video games which is and and that usually is in our wheelhouse but i never play the zombie mode of um call of duty and Mm. to my own you know, lack of credit. Uh, but that is, I think, the first like 30 zombie stories in my zombie news feed. And I'm just, I don't have it. Apparently some guy tried to break a world record and the game crashed on him after 164 waves of zombies. And I think we can all feel for that guy. Yeah, it kind of feels like what we're going through now. Um, I do want to touch base a little bit because we did talk about um, COVID news last time. And I do think that... Um, uh, weirdly, uh, we, we basically, like we were joking that every time we have a podcast, some vaccine news happens, is announced after we, we talk. Uh, so, and, you know, so I think that everybody knows that the, the cases around the U S especially are spiking. And so it's a little different than what it looked like in the spring. Um, basically where we only had a few hotspots, one including New York, and now it's kind of everywhere. So, um, and in the good news category, it feels, and it seems as if the death rate is not as bad as it was in part, because I think they know how to treat it a little bit better now. Um, but there is concerns that that may change a little bit as emergency rooms and hospitals get overrun. So we're all really hoping that this vaccine, this vaccine news moves swiftly. And so, so far we have the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine, both, both now they're predicting are around 95% effective, at least in the trials, which is pretty high on, on, on average for vaccines. Um, really good news on that end of things. AstraZeneca also published some news. They haven't come out with the same trial information because their trial was running a little bit slower. They had to take it offline for a bit just because there was just as part of a protocol. I think there was um, somebody who had had side effects and so they need to determine that that was not vaccine related. It seems like they're back on track right now. But they are their trial, um, they did, you know, uh, there's been some question about ages and um, ethnicities in the in the trials and making sure that there's enough diversity, but specifically as it relates to older individuals, because they don't tend to have um, the immune response, which is why, you know, when the flu vaccine happens, they tend to get the higher, uh, higher, I don't know what you would call it, like, which is it have more? It has more virus in it, or something like that. It, it basically is a higher end vaccine to provoke a higher response. Um, 
And in this case, AstraZeneca had a cohort of people around 550 people or 580 people, and it had the same response with them as it did with everybody else who had tried it. The only downside to it is that they were all, you know, none of them had underlying health conditions, and it was a predominantly white sample uh, or a Caucasian sample. Um, but the other thing, I don't know, did you see this, Stuart, that AstraZeneca also has a potential, um, it's not a therapy, but it is... A, a protection, basically, that they are thinking would be helpful for frontline healthcare workers and others who may not have immune systems to be able to have the vaccine. Um, so it's basically, yeah. So it's basically a, a treatment that enhances your immune system, really makes it supercharged up to fight COVID specifically. And they, so far, it looks like it's it's quite effective, and it gives. Um, the people who have, have been in this trial for this particular therapy, um, it gives them this heightened immune response for six months to a year after they take it. Um, it does not last forever. It does not provide immunity to COVID long-term, but their thought was is that while all this stuff is rolling out, um, for those frontline healthcare workers, it could provide some protection. Like, so if you were in a, in a space where everybody's having COVID, um, and you really need all of those healthcare workers there, um, this would provide some help. Um, and so that's a pretty positive thing. The other day, I hear you HA say the tagline of this is going to like supercharge your immune system. And I'm sorry that my brain is wired this way, but I immediately go to, and that's how the zombie outbreak began. Mm. You know, like, oh, you died oh. while you were under the influence of this immuno booster super medicine, uh, and now you're a zombie. Well, that's possible. But the other thing I forgot to send to you, Stuart, was this whole thing where they, um, uh, I will put it in the show notes, but basically uh, these they put um, human brain cells in monkeys and the monkeys are smarter and somebody I've seen that story and oh, uh, we should put that in but a friend of oh, somebody that I follow on um, on on Twitter and Facebook said if this ends up being with, like with with monkeys on horsebacks chasing me through the woods for food I'm gonna be very put out <laughs> so um, yeah. uh, so that was like pretty. I don't know. It just made me laugh. Similar, similar, similar uh, a vein of thought there. Um, mm -hmm. Hang on, I have to give credit where credits due because he he really makes me laugh. He does a lot of uh, like nerdy film uh, critiques, and it's uh, Zuki Hassan, um, and his his reviews are pretty cool. So you should follow him if you don't. Um, oh. So, in any case. Yeah, I agree with you. The, all of this, so this is, but this is, isn't this the issue with all of the, the vaccine research and this research has been so fast and we're used to a lot longer time period to be able to test and to vet these things to make sure that they are safe and that there isn't a long-term side effect effect um, that might impact a specific uh, part of the population or in general. And so I think that there people are going to be a little bit nervous about taking this, although apparently the numbers are going up probably because the COVID uh, pandemic has been just destroying everything right now. Um, and it just continues on. And I think people are very tired of it, but people seem to be a little bit more on board with taking it than they were before. Um you know, I'm I'm a little bit on the fence just in terms of the new. This is a new type of vaccine with the messenger RNA as a delivery system. It's something that they have been looking at for a long time. But I, you know, I they, they 
I agree, I understand why people are hesitant. Um, and then the other sort of, um, well, there's a couple, there's a lot of different like stumbling blocks on this, but one is that every person for both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, and I'm not sure about AstraZeneca. I, I think that may just be one, but I'm not positive. But again, that one has, isn't even quite there yet as, as these other two are, um, is that every single person would have to get two doses of this about three weeks apart. And so one is producing enough of whatever this is to get it to people. Um, storage is going to be an issue. The Pfizer vaccine has to be kept at negative 105 degrees Fahrenheit or something crazy like that. Um, Moderna's is slightly better. I think it's just negative five and it also is much more stable. It can be put in a regular refrigerator for about 24 hours and it doesn't lose, it doesn't start to destabilize. It's still, it's still active. Um, but what I'm curious about is how they're going to, if, if with especially with the Pfizer one, if it's like unstable and has these like crazy requirements, how do they know in transporting it and their right. supply chain that it isn't going to be out of whack and will and that it won't like you, you won't deliver an entire pallet of, of vaccines to Minnesota and they, they're all they've all gone bad. Like, I want to know what kind of like quality control there will be at the receiving I can, end. I can tell you this right now. I will not be taking the Pfizer vaccine for that exact reason because I don't have a ton of trust in that they are going to be because even the healthcare workers that heard the requirements um, and the pharmacists that heard the requirements of the Pfizer vaccine are really skeptical and want more information. I think that you know the company's basically like you know hold and we'll be we'll be coming up with this stuff and they have a couple of different things which is like boxes that they put dry ice in and then they ship the vaccine and. A couple of states have bought like the super sub-zero freezers to be able to keep it at that level. But you're right, the transporting this may be an issue. So um, so I think we have to see what the company comes up with. And thus far, I'm not, I am not totally confident in, in their solution that it won't I, present a scenario like what you just described. Another question that ha inevitably rises to the top of my, my silly brain is, what happens to your body when something that's negative 105 degrees is injected into your blood? Right. Is that a good thing for you? It feels I, like that would be a bad thing. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> like, whoa, <laughs> Maybe you okay. become Mr. Freeze from Batman. Um, oh, but God. look, I mean, they, they've been trying it on people. So clearly they have, you know, and it's a pretty, look, these trials are massive. There are 30,000 yeah. people a piece. I'm not doubting the effectiveness of the Pfizer vaccine at all. I'm Smarter just. Smarter people than me are correct. working on these problems. Than so both I of us. Mostly. But but, you know, the other the other stumbling block or the other big, I just think just a massive um, roadblock for this is, OK, say we get, you know, you get your first dose of whatever Pfizer or Moderna, whatever it is. And then you definitely have to go three weeks later. You're not supposed to go beyond that. And is there going to be enough vaccine available to do that? Um, is it like they slot you for the two doses and they keep one for you? Because part of it, I think, is going to be a supply issue. We saw with like masks, we, we have seen with the flu vaccine in the past that they had a really hard time even getting one dose for, for everybody who really needed it. Um, like yeah. a few years ago. PlayStation 5s. I mean, the list goes on. Well, I don't know if you remember, like a few years ago, there it was 
was there was the flu vaccine and um you know i typically i i have asthma so i typically am on the list for for people that are supposed to to be able to get the flu vaccine um even if there are shortages but in this case there were so many shortages that they i was even you know that i was told hey you know we really need this for like our elderly population and whatever and so i forego that i was like no problem but um so that's, but that's, you know, and we're talking about the flu, the flu, blah, sorry, the, the, the blah, blah, the flu vaccine, which they produce every single year. And this is a brand new thing. Yep. They've got it like, so basically, you know, even the number of dosages that they're talking about, um, they were like, okay, well, we can have 20 million to go by, um, by January or whatever. Well, that's only 10 million people that that effects and so obviously the frontline healthcare workers are going to be first and vulnerable people who really desperately need this um, and that's totally fine but to get herd immunity you need a lot more than that um, and you also need a lot more people willing to take it and willing to get the the get it three weeks from the time they get the first one and on the other side of this which is also why my, what might stop some people from getting it is that um, the side effects are apparently a lot more intense than the normal flu vaccine. So, you know, you're you're going to be dealing with basically low-grade symptoms for a few days. And so to do that and then go back for the booster, they're thinking that that might stop some people from from getting it. So anyway, I mean, the thing is, it's great news. We're glad it's there. I want to hear a little bit more about it. Um, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen with the AstraZeneca vaccine. I do hope it, it is something that's a viable solution um, because it is based on, you know, the usual vaccine technology. And in part, they were able to do this because the researchers had been working on the MERS and, and the SARS. This is the same company that did the um, SARS and the um, MERS vaccine research. So they were a little f further ahead, which is why they're where they are with this one. But um and it sounds like this one's theirs is a little more stable, so maybe we'll see more news on that in in future days. Most likely, it will it will be announced right after we get off, you know, mm -hmm. stop recording that's the usually, show. That's usually how it works. Is uh, it drops on Sunday but, or, or or Monday? Yeah. But all of this is to say that that is some good news. That but you know we're at the point where we're almost back. We're back in a pretty bad place. Um, this is, you know, we're looking at a winter where this is the same. It's going to be status quo. People are going to be working from home. Uh, New York did shut down the schools um, as of last Thursday. And yeah. um, they're talking about other restrictions. And I mean, look, I'm on a curfew. Oh, I didn't know you were on a curfew. Yeah, we can't. As of yesterday, as of last night, we are not to, you know, go out after 10 and before 5 and that's the that's the policy. <laughs> well, what does that do exactly? In theory, it stops people from having parties, which, you know, drinking like it's basically to stop people from boozing up and, and getting together with friends. Mm. Uh, it's I, I think in, in practice, it's going to be something that pe it'll be complaint driven. And so pe if people are having house parties, their neighbors, their neighbors will be more likely to call and report them because mm. um, every every uh, police organization that I've seen comment on this has said we're not going to be patrolling looking for people out after 10 uh, we're just going to be doing our normal thing and you know please be just be responsible for the love of Pete yeah um I don't know I I think that like if you look at how countries who have handled this well um Taiwan is pretty much there's nothing there and it's normal and 
one big thing is that everybody wears masks. And I think that that's one thing that in the U.S. we could do better. And At restaurants, though? And do they have bars and restaurants Everybody. Open? So uh, a friend of mine actually, unfortunately, had to go over there because he had a relative who was not doing so well. And basically, it was freaky for him because he went, he had to stay in quarantine. Um, and then once he was out, you know, and he had to go through like several tests because he had been coming in from out of country. Um, and, um, he basically said it was really freaky because it's like normal there. You can just, it's just full capacity. They do contact tracing. So when you do go to a restaurant, it is like you have to give up almost all of your details about everything that you're going to do. Um, if you do anything that's publicly, publicly, you know, um, he's like, people are still wearing masks on like trains and, you know, but he said that's normally, that's what they do there anyway. So that's not out of the the norm. Um, mm. But compared to coming from like the New York area and going there and then, and now he's back again and he was like, it is just really jarring because it's like they're, they're having a normal, they have a normal little bubble of the world there right now. And how and, was his arrival treated by the the authorities was he the way they just like come on in new yorker we trust americans in your COVID um history. he still had to do the um you know he had to let them know where he was coming from and he did have to quarantine for 14 days and they were they were calling him every uh they were calling him every day sometimes multiple times a day to make sure he was home wow. um which you know if you have a cell phone i don't know if that <laughs> <laughs> but he wanted to do the right thing, obviously. And so he, but there was no, I mean, there was no trace of it in Taiwan. So I don't think it's even on the list, but I think it was just people coming from outside the country. They just want to make sure. Um, uh, but it's, yeah, crazy. I have heard uh, from other people though, that have come through the airports here and, and they just walked right by the people taking the information. And I mean, they quarantined on their own, but they didn't, you know, they didn't yeah. realize they were like, oh, I just I got to go. And and so I don't let, let's just say I don't think that this is a good I don't think the system is catching everybody. So I don't know. I don't know why we're so bad at this, but obviously we are. We have 12. We have more than 12 million cases as of right now. Wow. <laughs> uh, we're yeah. climbing up to 260,000 deaths. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, well, let's go it is on time to, to move on from COVID. It's, yes. Yes. Let's let's talk about some fun more fun stuff um so this is a little bit older just because of what happened with my audio last time so sorry folks but um basically we found some you know the walking dead often does cameos and often has uh different members of the cast and um you know so the the episodes we're going to talk about today um two of them were directed by um michael cudlitz and um, and we also found an article that basically said that um, the actor who plays uh, Silas's grandfather and his grandmother are actually former uh, the the main Walking Dead, the canon Walking Dead show. Uh, they were both in there, uh, Jeff Kobler and then Denise Crosby. Although, you know, my, my love of Denise Crosby is is basically... Uh, from Star Trek, <laughs> so um, oh, Tasha Yar, Tasha Yar, what a loss! I know it was a, that was a bummer. Um, she died in season one, so it's weird that she had such an impact on the Next Generation fans. Oh man, she was so much fun though. Come on, she was such a great character. That was a real bummer. Um, but in any case, it's kind of you know the the both of them are uh, there in this in this universe. Though I don't think they're supposed to be the same characters. I think they're just slotted into new roles 
Yeah, um, well, they're they they are they appear they don't appear. They're only voices. They're doing the voice acting as Silas's grandparents, who with whom apparently he had a good relationship. Yep. So that's you know, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, that was that was a nice little uh, touch. And uh, Jeff Kobler was um, the leader of the Claimers, with whom Daryl was briefly associated after he lost track of Beth <clears throat> before he was reunited with her at the hospital back in season whatever the hell that was five six who who can say? Yeah. Um. And and then the uh, yeah, Tasha Yar's character. Uh, sorry, Denise Crosby <laughs> was uh, the. I forget she had an actual name and it might even be in this article, but she was one of the uh, terminus terminal terminites termites. Yeah. She was one of the cannibals. Yeah. But she was killed by Carol, I believe in the um, room with all the candles during Carol's first, one of her first like lone wolf murder, everything on screen scenes. Right. Like that was when she showed up and just saved the day. And she's kind of been doing that a lot ever since until they were like, let's also make her a giant liability. Yep. So, and that's where we are now with the queen. Yep. Anyway, interesting little cameos. I was happy to see those. Uh, and, and also pleased when they were, like, revealed. Um, the, the next piece of news I thought was very interesting. There's been a couple of casting announcements in the last week. Um, the first one that I saw was that a gentleman had been cast as the masked man that Maggie shows up with at the end of season 10 or what was the end of season 10? Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Okia M.A. Aquari. He's apparently from Cobra Kai, which I did not finish watching, so I don't know what role he had in there. Oh, man, Cobra Kai. That was fun. And he is going to be Elijah, a.k.a. the Masked Stranger. And I oh, just thought cool. it was funny that they cast him after that dude's been on screen <laughs> in the show, clearly just as a stunt double or a stuntman hmm. performing that role for him. But I'm like, okay. You didn't have anybody in mind to do that role before before this episode was on, on air already, but okay. So, neat. That guy's been cast, and Robert Patrick <sighs> uh, has been cast as a as something in, in, the, in season 10. So, he'll be in the next six episodes. Oh, well, that's great. I mean, yeah. you know, we love our sci-fi universes colliding, um, but oh, he's, yeah. I mean, he's been in a ton, ton of stuff. I think it's kind of funny that the the role that they keep pulling is from from T2. It's um, his most iconic role. It is his most iconic role, but he's been in an awful lot since then. And what this article does nicely from comicbook.com is well, they just pulled it from Twitter. Xander Berkeley, who I forgot was in T2, who was uh, John Connor's foster dad in oh, T2. Oh, that's good. Congratulated Robert Patrick on getting cast and says say hi to everyone for me and that's how they like they put the story and I'm like, yeah, that's great. These these two great elder statesmen of screen uh, congratulating, you know, I think that's just cool. And I think Robert Patrick will bring a lot to this role. So I'm happy for it. Um, a little bit off sides, but um, the series finale of Supernatural apparently happened. I don't personally watch that show. I, have, um, I haven't seen that show in a long time. Well, I can't believe it did 16 seasons, 15? It's 16. And what I didn't, I guess what I forgot was that both Jeffrey Dean Morgan and uh, yeah. Lauren... Yeah, he was their dad, wasn't and, he? Yeah, and Lauren Cohan were both in it. 
Um, she was in it, I think, as a, I don't even remember, like, honestly, I have not seen this, but it just, I was like, oh, and then they both went to Walking Dead. Interesting. So it's kind of funny how different people overlap at various points, and it makes me, oh, you know who would be a great person? Jeffrey Dean Morgan. <laughs> so 15 um, years on the same show. I mean, I don't know what that does for your career, but the short-haired brother, I don't know either of the names, has already been cast in season three of The Boys. Oh, nice. The He's going to be a, a superhero. Is the that Padlaki? I don't know. I don't know. But, but one of them is of, from... Uh, reveal videos about like of, of him. Basically, they've already been doing teaser videos for season three of The Boys, which I'm extremely excited about. I have to watch season two. I have not yet. So, um, Well, cool. So... Uh, then uh, we were also going to say that The Walking Dead is actually coming back um, February 28th, and they've released the titles of the episodes, the upcoming episodes. Um, so, you know, we know at least one of them is about Negan, at least the last one, <laughs> which is <laughs> well, we, here's yeah, well, Negan. We, we know that he, we're going to meet his wife his and Jeffrey mm-hmm. Dean Morgan's real wife. So that might be it or it might be something else. We'll see. Right. Um, and so I think we're ready to jump into our recaps of the world of World Beyond. Um, and sure. you know what? Despite the fact that we're, we're kind of catching up again with these two episodes, I think that's fine because um, I will say just at the outset, I don't think that the newest episode has a is a ton of ground to cover personally. But um, there's like a one big reveal in it, in my opinion. Um, but you know, in the two episodes that Michael Cudlitz directed, um, Shadow Puppets and Truth or Dare, and these are episodes six and seven, um, these are episodes that basically they're the our, our happy troop of, you know, wanderers, they they come into contact with two other people. And the people are, you know, characters that we like we were both um i think we were both in agreement that it was weird that they trusted so quickly um, with percy certainly yeah. I and mean, tony doesn't get introduced till the end of the episode but even then it's sort of like both of these characters you know at least with percy in your right like after like percy is somebody that starts out lying to them and then they're like oh like let's go follow this guy to like this this thing um and basically yeah. the the whole crux of it is that percy it comes to them with a story. I thought it was very weird that he came out of nowhere um, with nobody else around him because, and that they weren't suspicious of that because generally we found in this world that nobody really survives by themselves and certainly not a teenager because he's probably around 16 or 17 at this point. And um, so he would have had to have been a lot younger when all the the stuff hit the fan. Um, My so- suspicion is is primarily based around the immaculate nature of his pea coat, correct, which is unblemished. And then I start looking at all their clothes, and I'm just like, yeah, your jeans look like they're not like creased new, but your jeans are. None of them have holes in them. None of them are patched. Your jackets, the leather jackets, make sense. Those are going to be really hardcore. You look at the soles of their boots while they're walking. And they're all like not worn. They've walked across the state of Iowa in this in this uh, by this episode, and they're they don't look like they've been walking for however long it would take you to walk across the state of Iowa. And so yeah. I have that that is for me, and, and this is the same kind of 
immersion problem that I think right. other shows, CW or YA shows have that are set in a dystopian or in a in a, a post-apocalyptic setting. They they don't want their heroes to look unattractive because it's right. for kids and kids want, I guess they the idea is that a YA audience wants everything to look a certain way. But for me, that way is... Not, well, I, I used to, I don't know if you were ever a fan of Deadwood, but I used to have a friend that just couldn't watch it because she said they were all so dirty and grimy all the time. <laughs> I, um, I, I like that. Yeah. Me too. And the only person who was ever taking baths was uh, that one female character and she was dosed up on opiates the whole yeah. time. <laughs> um, but the other thing I noted, similar to what you were just talking about, is their haircuts, because we've all been through this pandemic. And I think we all know that unless you're like getting a buzz cut, unless you have clippers, yeah. um, you know, I, I definitely tried to to help my husband with his haircut. Luckily, uh, we do have a friend that uh, a roving uh, a barber <laughs> who who does rooftop haircuts with everybody masked. Um so Bill has been taken care of, but my own hair, like, come on, like it's been, let's just say we know what, what hair looks like at the end of like six months. And, you know, it, these guys have been out there for a pretty long time and they're, ha yeah. they're just looking pretty good. Percy's especially is looking pretty quaffed. Percy's um, has a little bouffant. Yeah, he's got a little uh, little spot product going on there. So Elton I, has a nice like uh, short back and sides going I saw something on in the I was looking at the reviews from uh, Rotten Tomatoes, which, by the way, this show is not doing so hot. And one of the Shocking. critics, what uh, the audience critics was saying, what's with the wigs that the two sisters wear? It didn't register to me that they're wearing wigs. Are they wearing wigs? Yeah, they look like they're wearing wigs to me, too, like oh hair pieces and extensions and stuff like that. So I don't know why. But, yeah, it looks pretty. Um, it does like especially uh, like both of them have them. So and, and they just seem. I don't know why. Is it like to try to make them look consistent? I don't know. It's very Maybe strange. that's what it is. But this is a problem. And we've talked about this with the Prime Show, too. Like people, some people with short haircuts, I want to see a scene with like somebody with sheep shears doing human haircuts. I don't know, like some way that this is being managed. Yeah. Like it's just it's, a mystery. It's a mystery. Yeah. There's um, a close up in the third episode we're talking about today of uh, Hope's nails. And they look pretty good. Yep. They look great. They look <laughs> manicured. Um, but yeah. in any case, so they should have been, they should have been looking askance at Percy. Let's just say that. And then he comes up yes. with a whole story. Um, and you know, it, it turns out that like his story is that, uh, he, he met up with some bad people. They stole his stuff and it turns out his stuff is actually a car or a truck. And so this, they grow off to, to find this stuff. And I mean, I gotta say, like, I did like the this the grift here because it's um you know spoilers it's Percy and his uncle who are grifting everybody um and they basically have been going around doing this to to other groups and taking people's things and just moving on um and you know there's a few problems I have with it one is that this is an incredibly complex grift that depends upon everything oh, working God. out exactly um yeah. so that Percy and his uncle don't end up dead um the, the main the main like shot of it is that they want to steal these guys backpacks right which so is, you know what are the odds that they're all going to take off their backpacks or even follow percy to get this truck i guess the, the idea of a vehicle is this thing that it appeals certainly to these people because they are traveling to a specific place but most survivors 
wouldn't they see a vehicle as like a zombie and bandit magnet? Right, a target. Um, and like the other thing is, is that this is the other sort of big hole in this whole plan, this grifting plan, is that they there does seem to be at least wherever they are here in the U.S. Um, is there aren't as many walkers, so it's a little safer to scavenge, and yet, and they there is still a lot of stuff to scavenge, as we've seen. So why take the risk of coming into contact and putting yourselves in danger with other people? So that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but in any case, I guess we just have to set that aside. Yeah. Um, their big plan is that Uncle Tony is a makeup artist and pretends to be dead, and uh, and Percy leads again you know he's and going. nobody nobody does the uh coup de gras on on him they're just like oh he has a bullet in his head because that's where the makeup is and but like we said um well i'm saying this like anybody I know, else knows. But when like... we last reviewed this uh, <laughs> we i neither of us could tell i think that this was scott adds it from 30 rock until like after he's gotten yeah. up and and like the grift is in full swing but he's taken out of the the cab of the truck and placed gently i assume <laughs> on the floor by the uh, in the alley before they all run off and leave Silas there to do his one job. Yep. Um, and well, I guess Iris is with him originally, but uh, I was really happy to see that Scott Adsit had this role. He brings a lot of innocent. Jo- I guess it's not so innocent because he is a con man, but it's, it's like kind of an innocence to yeah. the way he like carries himself and the way he talks to people. Yeah, and I mean, look, he like I like him as an actor generally, so I was happy to see him too. And I think that, you know, despite my skepticism about their interactions, I do like at least that they're interacting with a couple new people. So that was kind of cool. Um, and you know, ultimately, Percy has a change of heart um, because Iris comes after him um, because she's worried about him. There's a, a few like really fun jump scares in this, which are kind of hilarious um when uh, with the they're like kind of walking through and again like my my whole thing this group is so loud oh yeah they're so loud in everything that they do um they never are watching they're it feels like they never have watches set up on their perimeter like it always feels as if they're just doing really stupid things so even going into this building with having no idea what's in there and the way they're they're, they're going in there is kind of you know dumb but in any case you know, Iris follows Percy and she gets somewhat caught up in this trap and he has a change of heart and comes back and rescues her and brings the truck back, even though they could have gotten away scot-free at this point. Um, and then, you know, they do hear that, you know, I think that the one nice thing about this story is that Tony and Percy have been going around and they do these like magic and puppet shows. Um, I don't know if they then steal from the people that they're doing this for, but at least they get entertainment out of it. And so there was kind of like a cool little narration and the idea that these, these, these entertainments are, you know, something new to this group of people and that there's somewhat, you know, there, there's one of the things that I think got a lot of criticism, the walking dead universe is that it's so dark and that there's no bright spots. And so you get to see a little bit of a bright spot in this entertainment. Um, I think this is what this show is trying to do is just, is kind of, there are more bright spots in these in this series than there have been in the other two because I think they're trying to embrace this viewpoint of youth and optimism, even though these people are all like for most of their lives have been spent in the apocalypse. 
but they like listening to loud music. They don't worry about having loud conversations. They walk really slowly and talk about their feelings in the forest. Yep. Uh, which was a peeve of that I had earlier when, when they're trying to get to Andersonville to find um, Percy's stuff and for him to rob them. They're just walking at, at this insanely slow pace that I equate to how it is to walk with a four-year-old. Right. Just like you. Yep. And we're just going to talk about our feelings. And it's clear also in this episode that Iris has a big crush on Percy and that Silas, and they do this quite well in the um, direction, I would say. Yeah. They don't talk about it. The fact that Silas is obviously having a problem with this. They just have some looks, some hurt glances and Felix, uh, like talks to Silas and is just like, yeah, this is how life is. <laughs> like we, we can't help who we like. And that's the end of that. Yeah. Uh, but it's, and, it's setting us up for the drama that's coming in the next two episodes. Yeah. Um, and I think, look, I think that this, at least this part of it makes sense. Cause I think teenagers are just kind of ruled by their emotions, even if it's mm -hmm. in a dangerous world. So I thought that it was totally, I thought that the way that they directed that was great. Um, and now they have a truck and now they've got a couple of other people that at least have agreed to take them to where they need to go in general, um, even though they don't yet know where they're going. Yeah. Um, which brings this episode us... also has a post credit scene. Have you seen it yet? No. I'm you're terrible. just like you're just not going to watch the post credit scenes. That's fine. I will tell you what is going on in the scene at this okay. point. It's it's um it's at the research facility again, or what we assume is the research facility that was shown in a post credit scene after like episode three. The woman is identified now as Dr. Belshaw, and she answers the phone and is talking to someone she identifies as Lieutenant Colonel. So we assume that this is Kublik. The, the um, ooh, what's her name? Elizabeth. No, the actor who plays. Oh, uh, Julia uh, Binoche. Ormond. Oh, Julia uh, Ormond. You're right. Julia Ormond. Yeah. Um, and you don't hear what Lieutenant Colonel Kublik is saying, but the woman says um, it's going to be fine. Dr. Bennett won't be a problem, nor will his security detail. Uh, and yada, yada. Like, and she's also she's looking at this picture on her desk that has Dr. Bennett, the girl's dad in it. Mm. And his security detail, if you recall, is Felix's is boyfriend, Felix's boyfriend. So they are apparently still alive. But I don't know if they will be by the time. Yeah, by the time <laughs> the they get there. Um, but that's yeah. Well, or they'll they'll figure out. I don't know. Maybe they, they probably still need his brain for something. Probably. So there um, are some theories floating around on the Internet about um yeah, what this is going to be. There are also some interesting theories about this series in general that it is going to lead into a Rick uh, reveal. Hmm. Which well, I mean, be. it's possible because it's got the you've got the the organization with the helicopters and such. So mm -hmm. maybe mm -hmm. definitely, um, definitely, this could be that that vessel. Um, we it's just the pure lack of information about production on the Rick movie. Yeah, is kind of what leads us to think. Well, I mean, there is a whole other season of this in theory if they don't get canceled. Right. But anyway, so that does lead us into Truth or Dare, which is the next episode, which is a Huck episode and also a teenage idiot idioticy idiocy. Yeah, episode. definitely, definitely. Uh, so. Um, we learn a lot about Huck in this episode, mainly through flashbacks, and um, mm. she is, um, you know, again, we got her, like, running through the woods. We were, we, like, I, I definitely was, like, 
she is somebody who you think can survive and and has shown that she has survival skills in in pretty daunting situations so you don't worry about her being out on her own but there is the the really funny scene in the beginning where they basically show her um you know they show her getting ready for the day um she's being very careful whatever and then suddenly she hears a truck and just like dives behind this like <laughs> tiny bush and they've obviously seen her so had they not been her friends i think this would have been and and the question is how did they even find her i don't know yeah. but but in any case before this like while she's dreaming or having her flashbacks or whatever um not shockingly we see that she was um she was trained and she was um part of a sharpshooter outfit is that what it was uh, she's certainly in the Marines, and she has a designated spotter, which makes her a marksman. Beyond okay. that, I don't really know much about Marines and how they're organized, but she is a, a crack shot, is what they're basically telling us. Okay, and you know, the first thing you notice is that her uh, her spotter has like the same scar that she does, which comes up later. Um, and we see just throughout this episode what they have to contend with during um, we see basically pieces of what happened when when all the when everything happened with the walkers when when the world started to get overrun. And yeah. so um, it's kind of an interesting sequence of flashbacks if if taken together makes for a little an interesting little story in one of the times of the walk you know walking dead apocalypse that i find most interesting it takes you right back to season one of fear the walking dead right um and you know one of the things that we have commented upon is that there is there is a dislike for the how they try to make um the military into this sort of like evil entity or that there's like a ton of bad actors because you know especially in this scenario i do think that they would be doing the things that they the best that they can to, to help preserve life and to help people, but also recognizing that these are humans and are probably also scared. Um, so I think at least with what Huck does, that does, they change that theme a little bit. Um, but, yeah. but it's, it's just still, not enough. There, there aren't enough good people. Well, there aren't. And so there, there's, balance the scales, yeah. So they right? get these, they get these, you know, they they've been basically going and recovering people who are survivors, taking out walkers. Uh, they go into this building where there's survivors upstairs and they have to take out the walkers. And then for whatever reason, they've caged all the people. And actually this is in line with what happened with fear, the walking dead. They kind of like put everybody into basically a containment area. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe to either keep questionably keep them safe or to keep more people getting infected because they didn't have a ton of information. But in this case, they get orders that they're supposed to kill everybody. Um, and not just there, but like, I guess ever, everywhere they go and out in the street. And so, um, do you remember when we first met strand and he was in a containment facility yeah. and he talked a guy into killing himself? Yes. That was yes. a very different version of, the, of that. Yes. Character. Very different. Um, and so the thing is, is that she doesn't want to do this and she ends up taking out her entire unit and, including her her friend and and lover i think um her yeah. her uh spotter and you know what the like i just i think that more people would object in this case i do think that people are trained in the military to follow orders and i get that but this seems like so far beyond what you know I, it just felt a little mustache twirly to me in a way it's, that yeah it's super i'm not one, psyched about it's too broad strokey it doesn't take into account at all that if these people are being given this order, like Operation Sunset or whatever they're calling it, 
that they have to immediately realize that that's going to apply to everybody in their families and friends also. And I don't see a group of Marines, you know, even to the point where it's like nine out of 10 are doing this. I think it would have been much more evenly split and they might've had a big shootout and that could have been a really cool scene too. Right. And they could have had her walking out of there with like two of her, you know, remaining surviving Marine friends with the civilians. That would have been, I think, better way to do it it would have taken longer to shoot and it wouldn't have fit neatly into the flashback right and i I would have preferred that approach me too and and you know i like it again i think that these are hard things to portray and i just i felt like that would have been a more interesting narrative anyway and more likely um but it does show you a little bit of her background she has serious training um and she made some pretty tough decisions um and she is telling the, the, I don't know if she actually, I don't think she actually tells her story. She just kind of is thinking it and it relates to yeah. her talking to, um, hope about Hope's secrets. And, um, because this is the episode where hope's kind of breaking down because she understands that more, I mean, she knew that she killed Felix's mom, but it's really weighing on her and she kind of wants uh, to Elton's, tell him. Sorry. Elton's mom. Elton's mom, not Felix. Felix's sorry. mom. Poor woman. I think uh, she was probably killed. By yeah, I think husband. she was, she was probably killed by her husband, but sorry, Elton's mom. Um, and you know, she, she's a teenager and she feels really guilty. Um, so she definitely wants to, I think she wants to come clean, but she's also doing this stuff where she'll like, she's been telling Elton, Oh, I'll, I'll edit your mom's book or I'll like get this out yeah. there. And you know, he keeps, and I personally, I think this is like a sloppy thing because the writers keep having him say, Oh, my mom and my sister might still be alive out there. I don't think <laughs> Elton would actually believe that because 10 years later. Yeah. Um, Maybe. and yeah. I don't know, but anyway, like, I just think it's, Basically, but it's a good vehicle for Huck. It's a good reason for Huck to be able to say to Hope, look, there's some things that happen. You you just have to live with them and move on. Not the healthiest way to go, I suppose. Um, but yeah. basically, she's saying that it's much more selfish to tell Elton because is she doing it for her or for him? Um, to like and sort of what's what's interesting as a result of this is yes hope is feeling guilty so she's like reaching out to elton to do these things as you're describing he i think is interpreting this as kind of like oh she likes me and there's a, a funny scene when they're getting drunk uh-huh. or right as she's leaving the truth or dare game because it is dumb and percy's a douche yep um and and elton goes after her and gives her like a drunk hug and yep. then it's like <laughs> oh go back and he, there's a there's a, a nice bit of acting from the actor uh, who plays Elton where he's just has like his quiet okay and then walks away and it's quite funny and well yep. played. And he's like he's a little tipsy, so it's really funny because he's clearly got you know a thing for her. Um, and yeah, so there's there's that stuff going on, and then you've also got the Percy Silas uh, Iris love triangle there, uh, such that it is the team drama. Yep. Yep. Love triangle. Uh, yeah. Poor, and yeah. Poor it, everybody. I know. And it's like, you know, there's, I mean, I do like the idea that they're trying to show these kids being still kids. And so, and again, this is one of the bright spots. Like they, they play this game with where's where in the world would you want to go? And Iris had said that she wanted to go to, um, Musée d'Orsay and see all the paintings. The Louvre. The oh, Louvre. sorry. The Louvre. 
I say Musée She's no impressionist. I don't know. Um, is, that, is that Musée d'Orsay? I don't even remember. It's all just full of beautiful art. But in any yeah. case, I thought it was a cool kind of thing. And, um, you know, Percy sets up this whole thing in the back of the truck after trashing these priceless books that don't exist anywhere. But he cuts <laughs> out all the, the works from the Louvre and puts them up for her. Um, the thing I don't like about that is that she just jumps into the back of the truck with no protection and, and like meaning no, no there, like lookout, yeah. no anything and falls asleep back there. Well, this, this is part of the problem with that. Like show us the bright, the bright lights, the bright points in this YA approach is that Felix and uh, T- uncle Tony are just drinking a flask and not worrying about the loud music that the kids are playing. Right. that can be heard outside the building that they're in, no doubt. And it, it, it rings false to us who are familiar with this universe that this isn't really like breaking the cardinal rule of the zombie apocalypse horror rules, you know, like you can't do this. And yet they don't suffer. They don't suffer for that at all. I feel like, like, um, one of the things that they could have done with this is, I mean, if they had paid attention to those rules and I'm not saying that, you know, and I like, come on, just, it doesn't take that much attention to detail to do this. The music thing and the loudness thing is just sort of an obvious, um, to me, just an obvious thing that you wouldn't do. I mean, we've seen it in 28 days later, like light and music and all that stuff. You can't do any of that or you attract all the walkers and even 28 days later it's a candle that brings in i know like hundreds (laughs) of them um but in this case it's like i would have been like okay you guys can party in the bank vault that's soundproof or something that would make it a little less you know some note to that and if me and uncle tony hear you we're gonna come up there and like break your stereo i don't know like i feel like they would just be in a much more uh dark terrifying existence than they are and the show is is okay with it being like this light and fluffy stuff which is part yeah it's for the audience but it's also not it doesn't ring it's like it's just a bad combo well and it bothers me though because i mean even like this this may be for a ya audience but ya audiences aren't stupid and like they if they're if you're if you're a kid that's gonna watch this this will piss you off <laughs> the lack of continuity in terms of the attention to the world and to the, to what the rules that they have put in place. So I, I'm definitely troubled by that. But in any case, um, we show them doing their little drunk truth and dare thing. And then Percy basically gets into to Hope's face about what is the worst thing she's done, which is, <laughs> you know, Hope's feeling it's a stupid question. Like nobody's going to want to answer no. that. And she comes up with something that, that's BS and he calls her on it, but it's just like, dude. Anyway, yeah, that, that was kind of a predictably right. silly, silly part of the episode. And then she goes up to the roof and gets some mm, advice from Huck. And she gets way worse advice in the next episode from Huck. Uh, yeah. Huck is not giving her good advice. Huck, um, is, Huck is basically a walking uh, psychology textbook example rejects. of somebody that maybe needs a ton of therapy and yeah. needs to have some talk therapy. But um, her, her, main, her main advice is keep it all in. Shut it down. Shut it all down. Um, do not feel emotions. Um, or... You can feel the bad emotions, but you can take it. Take all that pain into yourself and don't share it with others. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that going on. But the the sort of the more interesting, or at least from a plot point point of view, um, it, some of the, the pieces of, of information that come out of their meeting up with Tony and um, uh, Percy and the truck is that they have found these overlays that show right. them 
fuel. They show them other things about um, the the CRM people. Um, and so, and of course, voila, um, Iris and Hope have this map that was given to them um, by uh, Kubla, and they are able to see where their dad is probably being held um, by using these overlays like projections. Um, so I thought that was actually kind of a cool idea that they had these little things that had to be matched. Um, I don't know that they would have left them everywhere, but um, they do go and get this. Yeah. This I do. It is a kind of a, a cool idea to be able to give them a map where they're going. And yeah, these, these overlays, we've seen them before too mm -hmm. in Fear the Walking Dead when Al finds... That yep. guy who's a zombie, that that whole episode where she meets her, her girlfriend. Yep. She's looking at those overlays in the rain when um, her girlfriend beats her up. Yep. Um, yeah. And so we've seen them before. So I thought that that was kind of a cool thing that that we see them again here. Um, mm. They also go out to um, to collect the fuel and run into another survivor who's been unfortunately uh, bitten. And so Huck has to take him out. Um, but that was, you know... That was again bonding her a little bit more with hope about their yeah. sort of commonalities and, and this this entire scene and sequence is interspersed with a lot of flashbacks for Huck, which yeah. is not surprising since the whole Marine Corps flashback, other than the part in the bar, takes place in these underground tunnels. And now they're in like an underground fuel refinery CRM depot mm -hmm. uh, area by a stadium, I believe. And um but this, I guess, is supposed to be how we come to realize that Hope was abducted or stolen by this dude because Huck has just been wandering around imagining yeah. her former times as a Marine. Mm -hmm. um, but we did, you know, we, we can't neglect to mention the the really big uh, ad campaign in this particular oh, yeah. episode, which um, basically there's there's this whole scene between Huck and Felix and she's giving him a Mountain Dew that she found in a store. And there's like advertising throughout this episode for Mountain Dew, like just like old signs and things like that. When we see Huck running around before she reunites with the group. Um, but, you know, I know that Mountain Dew is made of stuff that probably lasts a lot longer than other things. But I don't believe that Mountain Dew would last in its state for 10 years without tasting absolutely disgusting, like in a plastic bottle. No, I don't think that's happening. Maybe in a glass bottle, but not in a plastic bottle. But um, that's not how Felix takes it. He's like, no. oh, I used to drink this stuff like water. Yeah. It's it's a bit it's a bit much. It's a little they bit. They couldn't just leave the sign up in the background. They had to bring in a bottle and I know um, and throw in that dialogue. Well, and and you know we we've talked about this before, but um, it makes me wonder. There's specific things you could definitely advertise on this. Like I would say, mainly like outdoor and survival gear that mm -hmm. does last this long. Um, like REI and Patagonia could clean come up on, on man. this show. Like you could totally have. Like, I mean, it's like multiple things. You could have water bottles, like. Hydra. Yeah. like you could have things like like the little flasks and stuff like and so like it sort of surprised me that this is the direction they went but Mountain Dew like went like all in with this they had like programming they had like special little segments and things like that they had like a whole site about this whole thing so at least they're they're all for it you know I, I'm I'm okay with that enthusiasm I just thought it was funny that it was Mountain Dew um, um, but you know 
at the end of this episode, that is where, you know, all the fun and games have kind of ended, which, you know, we've, we've had the group that has gotten drunk and all of them are kind of drunk, except maybe Huck. Is that? Huck and Silas are the only two who didn't drink originally. Right. Silas, however, <laughs> reverses course. Yeah. When Silas sees that, uh, it looks like Iris is going to go, uh, pursue Percy, he, he goes and grabs a crate of alcohol or something out of the crate of alcohol. Yeah, there's a there's a, a pregnant pause with Silas glancing at a, a crate of, of booze because it turns out Percy's a bit of a distiller too, like Hope is. Uh, but that, we don't really know that he's done that until the end of the episode when he appears to just be completely blitzed. Yeah. Um, and so the end of the episode left left us with a bit of a cliffhanger, which is that Uncle Tony has been killed. Uh, which is this this is confusing to me because the last we knew he was hanging out with Felix, right? So that was kind of weird. Yeah. Um and then suddenly Uncle Tony like we, you know, flashed to this whole thing where um Iris goes looking for Percy after she's taken her nap in the back of the, the art truck. Um and she discovers the uh, carcass or the corpse of Uncle Tony. It's basically a carcass at yeah. this point. And it is unrecognizable. His face is gone. Yeah, there's like a wrench uh, covered in blood. There's like a blood trail. Uh, no sign of Percy. And Silas is drunk and crying with bloodied hands or something in the in like this stall. And then the rest of everybody comes in, and that's where th they left off, which jumps us into the next episode. Um, so, yeah. which is The Sky is a Graveyard, and uh, this one was directed by Lauren Iaconelli and written by Elizabeth Patton. And this continues the, um, the storyline. And, I mean, I felt like this, this episode was just really a lot of... There's a lot of stuff in this, but it's still a lot of nothing. It advances. Well, they don't go anywhere. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they're, they're, they've basically spent two episodes now. Well, the, I guess half of Truth or Dare was spent in a garage, and then they went to the gas station, and then they arrived at this like this beaten-up old resort. And then this entire episode takes place at the resort also. Um, and it is a lot of did he or didn't he is basically the entire episode. And I think yeah. we still don't know by the end of the episode. We well, still, we do know. We still we know don't know. And this is definitely a Silas-focused episode, clearly, but there's other stuff that pops up. Yeah. But um, my big thing is that if you thought, okay, you, you want to put Silas in handcuffs, but he's not dangerous to you at this point. So it's not like... Like, my feeling is that like they've all seen when he has gone out of control and... It, he's clearly not at this point and why put him outside and in danger because there are still walkers out there like this seems like just put him in the other room this is just dumb yeah it's crazy um, that they but, put him outside but they put him outside and they like they like uh tie him to a swing set or something um and so that was my first thought even when we first saw it it was clear to me that there would be a walker involvement at some point that's going to try to get him which is like uh really guys come on um but then, you know, the discussion of the episode, it's like, well, you know, these are the things. What I dislike about this episode and what I have disliked both about the storyline with Elton's mom and now with Silas is that so much of what they're trying to create in terms of conflict could be uh, resolved with some conversations. Yeah. So maybe Silas, well, well, maybe Silas doesn't remember what he did, but he certainly remembers what happened with his dad and his dad was abusive to him. And we see this. There's a lot yeah, of part, part of my, uh, okay. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. Um, 
I, I think that maybe the flashbacks he has about his dad in this episode are him piecing it back together, potentially. Okay. We, it could be interpreted that way. Fair, but like clearly other people, as, as we find out from the flashbacks, other people were aware that he was in an abusive situation. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think that it takes a lot to get there, and I don't think he would have shown up at the, the college with the stigma that he has attached to him because the, clearly like other people knew that oh. he was being abused. I um, think the problem might be that his mother apparently survives and might be telling a different story. Possibly. You might be right. But anyway, um, we hear a lot of about Silas here. There's a lot of questions about forgiveness and what people have done. Um, I do like I do like how um, Elton is very much Silas's uh, champion here. And well, there's a few people. It's not just Elton. It's also Felix and True. Iris at the True. beginning. Less so, I guess, as it goes on or kind of teeters a little bit for Iris. And Felix, Felix starts off very much in in uh, Silas's corner and in fact it's 3-2 you know when you it's yep. it's Huck and Huck and Hope against and the other three saying no he's he's you know there's no evidence that he did this kind of right and i mean basically there's a blood trail to the river so they're assuming that Percy is dead i we all know that Percy that's is going to show that's a silly up. assumption we all know that Percy is going to come back so um so there's that but um you know i do think that it did a good job of showing you know, they have um, Silas remembering his father, but also having positive men- memories interspersed with yeah. the negative ones, which I think that that's the case. Like a lot of people don't understand that, you know, abusers are sometimes very charming and loving and um, mm-hmm. there's and especially for children and uh, again and uh, spouses of, of abusers, there is the 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 conflict of the positive wrapped up with the negative because it's hard to to put those two together. Um, and so Silas basically in the middle of his father trying to to beat him um, has sort of has just basically blacked out and beaten the hell out of him some pretty severe injuries. Um, yeah, so like stabbed him with a picture frame, apparently. Yeah. But fatally, what, perhaps. Yeah. And, um, I mean, he's it's kind of yeah. messed up. I, the thing that bothers me about this, I mean, I like this story. I, I've always thought that Silas had an interesting story to tell. It's the way it's being told, which is through flashback. And if you I think if you count, I haven't done this, but if you count every single time they flash out of the present to his backstory, it's got to be something like 25 times. Because some of them, especially in uh, episode three, when we first talked about Silas's story, they were just these really short clips of him looking at his hands. And they they showed that one like four times. And this one, there are there are entire sequences of him flashing back like every 30 seconds. And it's I just find that an exhausting way to try and tell a story or uh, take in a story. You know what I mean? Yep, um, definitely. Um, I also think that having the neighbor show up and be aware of what was happening, that was like a pretty heartbreaking thing. Like, you know, one thing about Silas in this episode that I think um, we see both how he thinks about himself and how, you know, he feels very much alone, but, but, you know, everybody doesn't let him down. I think that especially when we see with Elton and with Felix and their support of him, um, it's, 
he's going to need a lot more of that to heal from what he's got going on. I mean, his um, uncle seemed to be in his corner too. Yeah, like, and I think his uncle probably knew what was happening. So, you know, I think that, but it's just a little cold that Silas would have left him out and just been like, "Yeah, I'm out of here, Uncle. You're you're a nice guy, but I'm I'm, I'm moving to." New York. Well, I mean, that's the thing, though. I mean, I think the whole thing is that you can't really run away from yourself. And until he addresses this stuff, and maybe you're right, this is like where his head was going and piecing this stuff together um, to be able to do that. Um, he doesn't yet have the memory of what happened with Tony and Percy yet. Um, but even Elton said that the only time that Silas has ever behaved in a violent way was when he was threatened or others were threatened. And so, and that's true. And so it's interesting to me that Huck and Hope are so anti and it is... Hope is is super freaking annoying in this episode. Well, especially because of what she's done and what she's had to contend with. And it's like, you know, and I guess it's that... And maybe we're supposed to think that she's uh, she's projecting. She's like, oh, he's messed up twice. How many chances are we supposed to get? I think is what she even says to her sister, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's like, and even that comment though, it's like, well, you, you've been hanging on to this thing and this guilt and you, you haven't told Elton and, you know, but you're going to totally sort of come down on the bad side with heroes with Silas. It's sort of dumb. Um, she is being egged on by hope by Huck though. And Huck is, um, is also, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to talk around this. Huck is actively trying to shift the blame to Silas. It's clear. It's, it's very clear by the end of the episode for me that Huck is that's she's his. He is her patsy because, uh, spoiler alert, she did it. I think. I mean, 100. percent I think she did it. Um, what that she, she killed Tony? She killed Tony. Oh and yeah, tried clearly. To kill Percy because for whatever reason, maybe she needed the maps. I don't know what she needed, but. Well, I um, think, it, well, it becomes clear at the end of this episode, I thought the same thing too. And then I was like, oh, aha, well, this makes sense why yeah. she would have done this. So but she goes and finds the William Blake um, that that Iris had done and thrown away and that um, Silas had recovered from the trash. And there's a whole conversation about that. And Elton, I think, makes a very good defense. Like, this is beautiful. It shouldn't be thrown away. Or maybe that's what Silas said mm. later. But it's like, yeah, you threw it away. He's a janitor. Of course he goes through trash. Like, not of course, but it's not that surprising. I don't know. I, I felt like it was a, I thought that there was some good writing here in this back and forth. The But I, I was kind of mostly just frustrated with hope. And I didn't find her arguments that persuasive. And it was kind of interesting to hear Huck tell her something like, Got to mm-hmm. think of the greater good. And then Hope just goes around and talks to everybody that will stop and listen to her for two seconds about, about the, greater the greater good. good. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, you're, you, you don't have a lot going on, do you? Nope. Um, well, yeah. it's sort of like she believed. And I mean, I think that's exactly why Huck kind of, I don't mm-hmm. want to say goes to her, but she knows that that's exactly what she'll do. Like she'll go out and spout whatever. <laughs> like clearly she, clearly Hope Hero worships Huck. So I don't know. Um, and then we've also got, you know, I think that the interesting thing is, is that also, like, look, uh, like, Iris has lived in this world. She's not dumb, and she has been a little bit sheltered, but she's mm-hmm. not dumb. And even if it turned out that Silas did this, I feel like she would come out on the side that Elton did, which is that there was a reason. And, you know, I I really just think... um I don't think that that's, this is how it would have ended. I don't think they would have let Silas go. Um, and Silas is very, you know, 
they all come up with that whole thing where they find the the drawings as motive because Silas was jealous of of Iris going after Percy, but like even then, I just don't feel like this is how this would have happened with this group. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, and you know, other than Huck, because she obviously has something to hide. Um, yeah. But everybody else, I feel, would have said, you know what, Silas. This is we'll deal with this and and we'll figure it out, um, but you must have had a reason, you know. So so I don't know. And then the the big you know not shockingly, but hope finally hope totally goes against what Huckett said and like tell tells her hmm. truth to Elton and poor Elton is just sort of like left with this burden and you know I think and she lots of burdens. This is also carrying Silas's bag. Though I, le- I mean, what did make me happy is that at least it's not like Elton just randomly saw the marble necklace Hope's been toting around that is yeah. obviously identifiable as his mom's. That was a bad way that that could have gone, for sure. Like, wait, I recognize that. Yeah, so I'm glad that that didn't happen. Um, but and I'm glad that the truth is finally out there. Uh, when when As this episode ends, it's Silas is off on his own. He's abandoned his headphones, which I assume means he's ready to face the world or i don't know exactly um elton is following him with his, all of his stuff and the marble and they're probably i think this is my this is my um this is what i think what's the word uh, projection i think they are going to hook up with percy and become a traveling trio and then they're going to save uh hope iris and felix from the evil clutches of huck because huck is a mole for the crm and Huck will also do a reversal and become a good guy again, but then she'll die. And I think Silas is also going to die. Yeah. These are my projections. I think, yeah, I think maybe that, yeah, I think you might be right. I feel like Silas is up for a good sacrificing himself kind of a thing. No. Yeah. Feels like it. He'll go um, out like Hodor. Yeah. Something like Hodor. Um, and then, you know, the other, the, the reveal that uh, Kubla is Huck's mom is pretty big. Yeah, I guess that is what they were saying. Yep. Or what? What? Because she, she's oh, and that's why she has that watch. Uh, yeah. When and so the yeah the, the way we find out is through a flashback, I guess that when she went off to do her uh, her scouting ahead, that's when she went and met with Kublek, and that's when she got the watch, which features in the very first scene we see Huck in the Huck Heavy episode. Yeah. That watch and uh, and Felix remarks on her bling. Um, yeah. And the watch was her dad's. That, the watch so that's was her how dad's. It, that doesn't necessarily mean that Kublek's her mom. Yeah, but, but I guess the she way, says, is this dad's? Yeah. And Kublek nods, which means, I mean, I guess that's kind of the way you would talk to your mom about your dad. Maybe. Well, if she wasn't, you would say, is this my father's or something? You wouldn't, like, there's some implication mm. that there's a common thread there, but maybe I'm reading too much into that. That's possible. Mm. But there's a lot um, more to tell about Huck's story, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, so. The Marine thing is probably canon and true. But where it went from there is kind of, there's a lot to tell, obviously. And I think that that's, that's to me, Huck is a way more interesting character now than she was. We were saying, like, we don't know a whole lot about her. You know, some of the criticism I've seen is that she had this, like, super fake joviality about her when we first met her. Or, like, oh. a forced happiness. That was maybe the the actor's 
performance more than it was the the writing but um now i think it makes sense like and you could also definitely explain it away as this woman's not an actor she's a she's a marine who's also a spy and that's a tough job did she say something about her i feel like she said something about her mom in some uh episode in the one with her backstory something about her mom I feel like she said something about what her mom did, but maybe I'm maybe I'm forget misremembering because I feel like that would have been a, a clue, but maybe I'm, you know. Yeah, I don't recall. Um, I felt like that episode was all about her with her spotter and getting drunk and watching the news. Was it in that first? I think so. Maybe I'll have to rewatch, but I felt like she made an offhand comment about her mom being... Um, maybe both her parents being in the armed forces. I feel like she made some comment about either one or both of her parents. So now I have to go back and figure this out. But, um, mm-hmm. but in any case, we got, the, we, we have the table set for the next, for the, the finale or the, whatever it is. Um, and I think you're right. I do think that we're going to have the two groups meet up again and it, it will be a, uh, probably a, um, huck, big reveal to the group that she's a, a mole. Um, but I think that she did like totally, I was thinking that she probably had killed Tony during this episode, just the way she was acting. Cause she's so against Silas. Um, but I, um, once the CRM piece, the flashback was revealed, I thought probably it's because she needed to get the overlays and stuff and didn't want them to have that information. Right. So, I mean, she's clearly got her own uh, tasks here. So she's leading them somewhere specific, probably. And that may have disrupted her plans. We don't know. So I guess we'll find out more in the finale. I hope we do. I, I hope that they don't leave a lot of these kind of new revelations out there to to sit. I want, you know, I want to see Silas and Percy and Elton all reunite very quickly and come up with a plan, whether it's to try and follow them or do their own thing, but accidentally run into them. I'm assuming that that's how that's going to go anyway. I mean, maybe the next episode will be them all giving them each other haircuts. Like Silas will come out with like this pretty cool slick <sighs> they'll, thing. They'll find like a, a store with new immaculate pea coats for them all to wear together. Yep. Yep. It'll be, there'll be like a little gang of uh, really well coiffed teenager boys running around percy will join in it'll be great um but anyway um if you if you have any comments about this episode uh feel free to send us a tweet reanimated pcast um on the twitters uh reanimatedpodcast.com you can leave a comment there on our site or you can send an email to us reanimatedpodcast at gmail.com um and until next time hope everybody has a happy thanksgiving and thanks for listening All right. Thanks and bye.